0: Welcome to episode 189 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, I was looking for some kind of newer ideas that I haven't shared yet. And um, Hallie Sherman had one on her Instagram page that was using text messages in services. So there's a website that you can go to where you can make it look like a text message format, um, which is really cool to use with a uh, I think teenage students, that's kind of their main way of communicating. Mm-hmm. I know lots of them when I've said, like, okay, this is how you would do a phone call. And they're like, I don't call people. I just text message them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I think that's a really motivating way to do it. And let's see, what is the site that she uses? It is um, ifaketextmessages.com. Text com is where you can go and it looks like a text message and you can create, you know, whatever you want, whether you were working on idioms or um Multiple meaning words. I think putting it in that format just so it looks a little older for the students that you're working with can help, too. And another place that I've seen it is on abca.com, which I usually use for my younger kids with games, but they do have an idiom one on there that's really fun. And it looks like a phone messages coming through, and they use um, emojis to kind of, like, you have to guess the idiom from the emojis that they put up, and then it goes through, like, the real meaning of the idiom, the funny meaning of the idiom, and things like that. So, I like that. Just anything that makes it more relevant, more functional for our students, I think is really helpful.
0: So, with that website, do you download... How does it work? is it just a link back to the website?
1: I think it's just, I think it's just links back to the website and then it creates images that look like they were on a phone with
0: like the conversation
1: back and forth. And so you can put in both parts of that and create those.
0: And so I can fake a text message from someone, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) More more ways Mm. we need to look into not being uh, scammed by people (laughs) too.
0: Hell, I'm gonna scam somebody, get some money. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to work figure yeah. out. <laughs>
1: there was there was a big um speaking about teens and internet safety, there was a big story in the news here in Utah um about a Chinese exchange
0: student that got virtually kidnapped. I saw that. I didn't read yeah. the whole story, but virtually kidnapped.
1: Virtually kidnapped. So he um Whoever was talking to him online convinced him that his family was kind of being held for ransom or hurt in some way if he didn't run away from the family that he was with. So he took a bunch of camping gear, ran away, was camping in, like, Utah area somewhere up north, which sounds really cold right now. And then his family on the other side were being told that he was being, that he had been kidnapped and they were holding him for ransom. And, like, on either side, there was no actual, like, physical person that was doing either of these things. So I, like how this ties back, I think, to what we do is just talking using those stories in the news to talk about that. Like when I sure. was talking to my own kids about it, I was like, and this is a good reminder not to believe anything that anyone says on the internet, to always like verify with real people, to not listen when someone says don't tell anyone or, you know, and just talking to those kids about that internet safety as well.
0: Oh yeah. And and I've I've seen uh, I've actually gotten text messages from people saying, "Hi, this is so and so," and it's actually someone I know. So right. some, somehow they've gotten a name from someone I know. Yeah, and that they they need me to call them, mm-hmm. and of course they want money and they need mm-hmm. money because they're in a situation which, you know, that you know the people that these scammers are using would never call me. <laughs> right because they know I have no money but uh <laughs> but uh but yeah that's that's one of the things too I've seen in um, past year or so you get yeah. these emails and or you get uh text messages yeah and it's
1: and, a it's a real big problem in um our older older and aging population as well right. a lot of people are getting you know their life savings is gone because mm-hmm. they believed that they had won the Australian. This was actually a friend of mine. Her dad believed that he had won the Australian lottery, and if he just sent them fifty thousand dollars, then he would get all of the money from the lottery. And they barely caught it before he sent the money.
0: He was going to send fifty thousand dollars. Yep,
1: yep. Because I'm going to make up
0: a new text message. Which is, I can, I can send him a text message. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, I think it's across populations that we, like, we work on communication and, you know, critical thinking skills. That's not outside of the realm for us to be, you know, educating people on this, whether it be our teenagers, our younger kids, or the adult population that we're working with.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a a dangerous world that we need to be careful with. Technology is wonderful, as we all know, but it can be used uh, for ill gotten gains. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, today on the podcast, we have Kareem Kuki on, and she has been on before. We're so glad to have her back. She is also one of um, the people that is. The co-chair, I think, is her title of SIG18. So she has lots of information about what's happening in telepractice from ASHA and um, just information about some new ventures that she's going on as well. Awesome. We want to congratulate Presence for reaching the incredible milestone of 6 million remote evaluations and teletherapy sessions. Presence is a pioneer in special education and mental health teletherapy, and they're making a real impact in solving the national shortage of school clinicians, with nearly 10,000 pre-K to 12th grade schools supported across the nation. At Presence, they're on a mission to empower schools and clinicians by breaking down the traditional barriers to success through their elevated approach to teletherapy. As a trusted partner and advocate for clinicians since 2009, Presence offers its large community of teletherapy providers access to an award-winning platform with assessment and therapy materials, continuing education, and networking opportunities to help them succeed. Through ongoing clinically-led resources and support, Presence is meeting the needs and creating career opportunities for clinicians today, wherever they are. Presence is teletherapy elevated. Learn more at presence.com. Hey, Kareen, welcome to the podcast. Back to the podcast, I should say. Um, for those, it's been a while since you've been on. If you want to share kind of some of your how you got started in teletherapy briefly um, and how you got here. Yeah,
2: definitely. Thanks for having me. Um, so. Uh, Last time I was here, I think we were still coming out of the pandemic. I think it was uh, spring of 2022. Um, I was working for a telepractice company that focused on um, medical and and the healthcare industry. And uh, um, so today I'm I'm working for a different company, uh, back to school-based telepractice, and um, just have been doing this for uh, the past uh, over a decade now going on 14 years
0: now. <laughs> so how how was that transition back to the schools?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I actually was really looking for a change and um it's been interesting. It's it's kind of um was mixed feelings for me because I felt like uh I know certain things are challenging. I think both settings have their challenges, and I was I was reading a Facebook post that talked about that every setting has a challenge. I know people try to switch around to, to have kind of a fresh start. And I think the first two months, I was kind of remembering the challenges and realizing why I had initially transitioned out of the schools. <laughs> 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 and then um, somewhere around November, because you know, the start of the school is basically when I transition to this setting and start of the school year is, is just a lot when you start a new job. And you're dealing with all of the start of the school chaos and everything back to school chaos, as we like to call it. And somewhere around November, I kept trying to remind myself, this is, you know, why you did it. And so November ish. And so of course, now that we're coming out of the holidays, um, I'm realizing, you know, there are certain rhythms and cadences, and you do have a little bit of a, an ebb and a flow, and things do kind of calm down a bit. So you can hear yourself think, so to speak. So things are, better. So overall, I'm really glad to be in the school's uh,
1: telepractice setting again for many reasons. Yeah, that's funny that you say that because I remember sitting at ASHA and kind of like listening to conversations at the bus stop and things like that. And people in the medical setting were talking about, you know, like productivity regulations and insurance and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not any easier. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, a,
2: certainly I mean, not.
1: Um yeah, there's yeah.
2: less less paperwork or documentation, but um yeah, on the flip side there's other uh billing issues that mm-hmm. um definitely make it more complex. So I can speak to both sides. <laughs> right. You
0: very much. And Karine, you, you are also very heavily involved with uh SIG 18 with Asha, which is telepractice uh, for those who may be wondering what SIG 18 is. Uh, special interest group 18. um can you uh let's if you don't mind um talk about some of the highlights from this past year 23 and then what are some of the big things coming up
2: yeah definitely um so asha we now are up to 20 sigs um which for those that don't know what that stands for special interest group um 18 is the one for telepractice, and I was very uh, fortunate to be elected um, onto the uh, coordinating committee. Uh, so this was my first full year on there. It's a three-year term. And um, my colleague and I were um, <laughs> not only elected, but somehow um, we were um, uh appointed, I guess is the right word. Uh, <laughs> nobody else wanted to do the job. So one mm. of us became coordinator and the other one became associate coordinator. And we sort of um, have had a really uh, a very steep learning curve this year, but we have had a really great year, um, a lot of fun and a lot of great activities. Um, so let's see this past year with the end of the public health emergency, we have done a couple of um, presentations, some uh, professional development offerings um, regarding that, and what the implications are for telepractice. And we ha- we've had really great attendance um, for these events. We've been um, publicizing them on social groups. One of the the issues. Um, So, of course, uh, I highly recommend those of you who are not members of SIG18 to join the SIG. I know a lot of people are wondering what happens with that extra uh, $45, I think it's up to now that they pay. But honestly, um, it is well worth the investment. Um, Once you join one SIG, you you get access to publications. Um, uh, The perspectives are the publications for each SIG you can actually um, access all of those perspectives. So you don't just Mm -hmm. get access to your own SIGs, but you can see the others. So, you know, for any reason, if you need to do some research, that's a great way to get access to that. You can actually, um, you get to post and participate in the SIG that you're a member of, but you can actually um, look and read the other postings as well. Um, and there's a lot of, again, these opportunities, these, uh, events that we do virtual events. Um, we had one that was, uh, again, very well attended, um, licensed to telepractice avoiding jail and other awkward situations. (laughs) So that was a really good one because, um, I can't tell you, um, how often we get these questions, you know, people are still thinking that is perfectly fine to, um, not have a license for um, either the state or country that their client or student or right. um, or patient mm-hmm. is sitting in, and it's okay, you know, nobody will catch me, nobody will see it, that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: or and, I'm going um, on vacation, or my t- client's yeah. going on vacation. Right. It's just for a short time. There's yeah, there's still a lot of those questions floating around on Facebook. I feel like.
2: Yeah. And and this year, we're going to plan some more events. We're hoping to do more on the compact because that's like a big topic this year. Um, and the compact has been, um, you know, just not moving forward as fast as people would like. And again, there's a lot of <laughs> misconceptions about what the compact is. You know, there's still a lot of um, red tape involved with that. You still have to join that and go through an application process of some sort and that's getting figured out um there's of course some database complications that are delaying this process but we um as part of the sig 18 will be you know trying to disseminate that information um yeah super excited uh to to be part of that and um and we will actually even Take if, if if people listening to the podcast have any other questions or ideas, I mean we we want to provide the information that the affiliates are hungry for that they're looking
1: for. Yeah. I feel like this past year the SIG has been much more visible and active than it has been in past years and even like at Asha, the conference itself. Um, so you guys have done a good job. Thank you.
2: Yeah, no, and it's been a lot of fun. Really, yeah. um at the beginning of the year we were a little nervous or scared about what what it looked like but it it is making a lot more sense and and seeing um the participation and and what people's uh, responses are are just kind of continuing to motivate us to keep going
0: <laughs> yeah and i i think uh recall from the about the compact we're we're up to like thirty states now is that right
2: Um, I think so. I've kind of lost track of that. That's, um, actually a good point. I know it was in the twenties. I didn't realize we'd actually crossed into 30, but yeah, there is a website, um, that you can check and, um, I can quickly look that up, but there, I think it's SLP compact. Um, but yeah, they, uh, definitely update that on a regular basis. Um, The thing with that is you do have to reside in a state that's part of the compact. Otherwise you can't really participate. So for somebody like myself who lives in California, California is not part of the compact. So unfortunately I can't participate in that, even though I have uh, licenses that are for states that are within the compact, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Your your origin site. Your origin state has to be a part of the compact.
2: That's correct. And that's one of the the issues or misconceptions that people have is that they can, you know, participate even if they don't live in that area. Mm. Right.
1: I I wonder if you had a crystal ball, how do you think the compact will like impact telepractice? Like, do you think that rates will go up for providers? Rates will go down for providers? Um it's an interesting question. Make um make it grow, make it shrink. I don't know. I think
2: I don't know about the rates because that's that's a an interesting um question. I hope it doesn't go down because I know we're right. all fighting for more
1: <laughs> for better pay. I know.
2: Um, uh, but I do think that it will hopefully make people even more open to telepractice. I mean, even post pandemic, I see um there continues to be that resistance or the the thought that it's kind of the second choice. You know, if we have in-person, we'll go with in-person. It's improved of course, but I'm hoping that it makes it even better. Um, you know, I know there's all those school districts that are still very, very hung up on wanting in-person and and maybe this would be just another another way of them to really um, understand how how much better it's going be to be to open their minds to having virtual services as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the compact too. Like we're learning there's other background checks and each state has their own little, you know, little, um, it's not that little actually. Uh, they yeah, have uh, laws that they enact that, kind of get in the way of this process. Yeah. And for example, Illinois um, just this summer. Uh, and again, it, it's all with good intentions. It's for the safety of the children and safety of the public. But um, there's something called faith law that got enacted uh, just this past summer. And it's been brand new to all of us. And so anybody, any um, speech pathologist that is, or actually any provider, psych- school psychologist, uh, social worker, They have to go through additional background checks and fingerprinting in the district that they serve in order to be vetted and be okay. And within Illinois, if they then move to a different school district, they have to go through that fingerprinting again. And it's it's all to protect, again, um, the children. However, it just continues to complicate things. And and what I've learned, even in this short time being back in the schools, you know, uh, for, for certain counties, um, in Illinois, they didn't even have a process for out of state fingerprinting. So this has been something that they've had to, to develop kind of build the airplane while you're in the air kind of, um, right, uh, right. mentality. It's like, and it just, it just gets in the way of the whole thing, but yeah, going back to your question. I hope that the compact continues to just make things, um, better for telepractice and, and, make it more acceptable as well as easier to access for people, hopefully. Well, and hopefully just... the pay rates will go up, but
1: I don't know. I know. But there's, I feel like there's a problem there that needs to be answered in considering like cost of living, like where the SLP is and like the rates where the physical school is. And it's just like a complicated thing. And I feel like, I don't know. There's people that have kind of like, yeah, I feel like yelled at other SLPs online for taking a rate that they don't see as enough when I like I live in a low cost of living state. So I'm like, I would be happy with that amount, but I don't live in New York City. So (laughs) it's it's a weird problem that I think at some point we have to, like, figure out an answer to. And I don't know if there is one. No, I I agree.
2: I I I think I read the same Facebook posts yeah. that you read, <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to sort of go off of social media for a yeah, while to like, a recover because they are breath. very heated. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It, it's. Um. I think it's just. Um. It it does need to be addressed. I think. Um. It's it's feeling like we were taken advantage of for years and years yes. and years, and now yeah. it's just sort of coming out. Um, all the pent up frustration, I do feel again, pandemic, you know, post pandemic, nobody wants to, um, put up with anything. They just, you know, we'll, we'll call it like they see it. And, uh, and it, it has gone to some extreme, I do think, um, where people are, are just a little bit like not satisfied with anything, um, Mm -hmm. which is, which is problematic, but yeah, we shouldn't be shaming people that, are okay with a certain rate for sure
1: right
2: right Right. i think complicated and complex
0: yeah yeah i think you know it's not going to be one size fits all in terms Mm -hmm. of those rates and those kinds of things we have to be open to supporting each other not criticizing in that way so Mm. corinne you you are also we'll switch gears now go away from sig 18 and uh, you have some new things uh, for yourself that you're planning to to do in this new year, 2024. You want to share more about those exciting opportunities coming? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, um, for a long time, um,
2: have wanted to start my own practice to do some accent modification work and um, helping folks with public speaking skills in general. And I'm super excited to kind of launch that officially this year in 2024. Um, So more coming on that, hopefully, um, in the next coming months. And I'm in the process currently of of setting that up and making it official. Um, I feel like this comes from just a place of um, where, you know, I grew up. Uh, I think in the last podcast, I spoke a little bit Mm. about growing up as an immigrant and, you know, doing translations for my parents, Um, even having cousins that were very Americanized and trying to teach them my native language of Armenian. And so this kind of um, sort of being thrust into this as a child and trying to help uh, improve communication uh, amongst adults and other children has sort of stayed with me and, um, was one of the reasons I actually became a speech pathologist. And, uh, I have, um, during the pandemic, I, I started to see some additional clients. I had done some work early on and sort of set that aside and came back to it during the pandemic and really, um, see that as being the next area of, uh, hopefully growth in my career. So I super excited about where that's going to take me.
0: That's wonderful, so are you going to focus a bit on uh, just across disciplines or business focus or what do you think you're going to go?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I'm going to definitely set this up as uh, a telepractice uh, because I feel like it's going to have a greater reach. And um, I am um, hoping to work with professionals uh, of different, you know, settings. So I have um, started to consider some uh, areas just around where I live in the greater Los Angeles area. Um, it's amazing because a lot of it, and it's not so much about the accent and, and reducing the accent or modifying the accent, but it's also about, um, teaching the, the folks to speak with confidence. And so you're not trying right. to take away who they are and and the nature of, of who they are. Um, again, a uh, looking back at my dad, he, he knew four languages. And so when he spoke English, they were, his English was a reflection. It was, um, a, a filter of all of those languages that he would speak. English was the last language he learned. And he was very, um, uh, frustrated that he couldn't get the grammar right. And when he would compare it to, to German or Farsi or even Armenian, he was always, um, frustrated about all the exceptions English had
0: <laughs> oh yes
2: and so um again as a child I was like I can't tell you the number of letters that he would have me proofread before he sent them because he wanted them to be absolutely perfect so mm-hmm. it just was one of those things um you grow up with uh, as an immigrant or a child of an immigrant and and you kind of start doing these things and you realize wait not everybody does this so okay <laughs> Right. but it def- definitely shaped me and so I'm really looking forward to um, hopefully providing other folks that are in in the same um, you know in the same place where they might not feel as confident and there's actually research that supports um, that folks that have accents don't seem to get as many promotions or they're they're passed over right. for promotions there's that accent bias and I'm I'm really starting to to explore that. Um I'm also um amazed at how how true that is. I mean it, it's really actually quite sad if you think about it. Sure. Um and uh again it's it's teaching teaching those individuals they don't have to change who they are, you know, if they if they accidentally slip and they forget to to say the th properly or or enunciate their their vowels, it's not about the actual um quote unquote error it's more about where they uh place their stress or how they emphasize their words, where they pause and their confidence ultimately so super excited to to explore that.
0: well, we all make mistakes I mean that's you know so making sure they understand everyone makes mistakes when they're talking you know mm-hmm. often even even you know i I grew up here. I only speak English barely. So, um, so yes, we all make mistakes. Now, if you want to uh, have, if you have anyone from the South who needs to lose their accent, I might have some insights to that. Because growing up in South Carolina, I had a very, very, very strong Southern accent at one time. <clears throat>
1: I've heard Very that. Sometimes, if you go home for long enough, it comes back.
0: <laughs> it does. If I if I'm down visiting family in South Carolina, or if my wife says you have uh, one too many glasses of wine, it all comes back.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm sure. just in Utah where we don't say any T sounds in the middle of words.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> Mountain hunting. Mountain.
0: <laughs> Everything's a glottal stop.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: love it but yes. like you
1: said that kind of like i don't know marxist is like who who we are where we're from right. and i liked how you talked about that lens that they see all the other languages from because that's helped me a lot to think of that when i'm seeing kids that are bilingual and i'm like well why don't you know i've Gone to native speakers and things like that, and been like they keep on mixing in and on when we're talking about prepositions and the giving getting some insight on why that those things like that are happening. And a lot of times it is because of their native language, yeah, definitely. Um and then
2: going back to Asha this past um year, there were actually several presentations on this topic, and I tried to attend as many as I could. Um, but the universities are starting to um, have some clinics for this too, which was really an interesting concept. Um, there's a couple of universities here in California that have started clinics to help um, the students, the foreign students as well as the the faculty so um, kind of really interested in exploring that as well um, this year so seeing what that will
0: bring yeah putting on my other hat for a moment and Talking as a faculty member, yes, <laughs> universities need accent modification, not only for the international students who are there, but for the faculty. <laughs> Even the faculty who think they speak just fine often do not. <laughs> now, that's probably yeah. one of the biggest, biggest complaints that students have, um, that they just can't understand the professors uh cuz they're not used to hearing that accent or meeting someone from that culture or who speaks uh, english as a second language and and that's that's by far one of the biggest complaints for for those faculty who who are trying their best but they need they should have had some some help before then before you know standing in front of a class of 2 or 300 students trying to teach them and no one can understand them
2: very interesting mm-hmm. that's good to know I'm on the right track
0: <laughs> and you know and I have to say of course maybe some universities have some type of some type of criterion they've put in place in terms of how they judge whether or not a faculty member is intelligible enough to teach um, I would say most probably don't have something that they follow in a very strict way and i think that's the problem that is very interesting yeah and it's
2: again going back to the work that would need to be done i think that they could potentially at least improve their intelligibility i don't know i want to throw out a percentage maybe 25 percent or so just simply by um changing where they stress their words and how they Mm -hmm. pause, I mean, that would probably help tremendously. I think, you know, with our ears, we're used to a particular way of hearing those um, accents and where we put the stress. And so, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the the speed, it's not so much the slowing down as where they put the stress and the pauses and, Mm -hmm. and hopefully that would help, but that's very interesting to hear.
1: Yeah, those super segmentals get forgotten a lot, but I have a, yeah, I, <laughs> I have a, a song that's on a uh, playlist that I have that we traveled to Iceland and there was one of our tour guides that actually had a CD of her singing um, Icelandic lullabies. And so I've been listening to this for like the past two years and I still can't pick out like the separation between the <laughs> words. <laughs> so when we think about that that how those um impact intelligibility as well yeah um, how that's different in every language that has been like such a i don't know example of that to me very interesting love it i, I don't know if i've actually heard that language so i'd be curious to hear that it is a very interesting one <laughs> and they have the longest words because they add any modifiers to the noun, they just add it to the word. Mm. So you'll have like these like road signs that are forever long because every like all of the modifiers for that town, they've just like added that to the name of the town.
2: That's like Armenian. Like there's no the or a article. Everything is just added to the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Prefix,
1: suffix. <laughs> right. Interesting.
0: Kim Kim would say a few you could say some things, can't you say? From,
1: from some like... of the towns, that's about it. <laughs> Reykjavik, um, <Isis>, fjordor <laughs> some of them, that's about it. <laughs> and those took me most of the time we were there to figure out. But I was really excited because I apparently looked like a local because someone walked up to me and started speaking Icelandic at a coffee shop. So I was like, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. I At mm-hmm. least <laughs> my family fit in. <laughs>
0: Very cool. Uh, the Nordic features. Yes, Icelandic yes, features. we're very Nordic. Uh, well, Karine, um, so, uh, you know, I like your your philosophy and working with accent modification of, of really helping the person not feel secondary in that sense, not feeling like they have to lose who they are, like you were saying. and And so the public speaking side of that would be Sort of tied to that uh, aspect of your of your training. so it's not just modifying the accent but projecting being able to speak in front of a, a group and feel comfortable. Um, I think that whole that whole process would you know together uh, sounds really incredible
2: yeah, I've even thought about um working with medical professionals because I think there's a real need um again coming from that healthcare background and uh, talking to some physicians about our services and also just being a patient myself going into doctors offices or accompanying family members um been doing a lot of that the past 2 years with aging parents and whatnot sure. um but seeing those doctors that um have one hand on the the doorknob as they're talking to you or <laughs> right. you know they're oh yeah They're getting their documentation time in by being on the computer the whole time and really not looking at you when they're explaining things. Um, There's been also, oh my goodness, there's so much uh, room for, I think, um, some hopefully education and improvement. But uh, again, uh, the medical professionals that come in and um, they have their back to uh, the aged patient population with hearing loss, you'll probably right. relate with this. Um, mm-hmm. and they're literally talking so fast. And, <laughs> um, I've been at doctor's appointments with my mom and I'm sitting there. I'm like, Hmm, what can we do to improve the
0: situation? Exactly.
2: <laughs> my poor mom is like, what did you say? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, just small little things like that, just building that awareness. And it's just amazing. It amazes me. And, you know, they go through the training, they are really good at what they do, but there's more to it. You're dealing with humans. Right. It's a human um, field where you have to, to be able to communicate and talk to people. And of course, there's like bad, you know, difficult information that you have to talk about, Mm-hmm. difficult conversations that you have to have so you have to be tactful and um you know having one hand on the doorknob
0: uh will not necessarily be
2: the best way to handle some of these conversations
0: that's right yeah. and i i've certainly seen um in my own family and my wife's uh, parents who are uh, older that they don't often advocate for themselves so, if you have a situation and not hearing well or as well as they could, uh, even if they have hearing aids, and the person's talking fast or not looking at them, that generation, from what I've seen, um would just listen to the doctor and just nod their head. You know, thank you. You know, because they don't want to, you know, feel like they're they're challenging the doctor or you know, so bothering bothering yeah. them or questioning their. Diagnosis or their judgment, whatever, and so they'll just nod and and you know. So I think one thing that uh, I think is a real problem is that these physicians need to really check for that comprehension mm-hmm. um, and really have some different ways of doing that, uh, and not just assume if the person nods their head that they really understand what you're saying, because there's some people that won't speak up and say I didn't understand you and you look at me and say that again or write it down so i can read it they'll just say okay and and that's it and they have you ask them later well what did he say i don't know i didn't understand him. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, yeah that's when you start going to the doctor's visits with your family
0: member who comes on yeah. and says i yeah.
2: didn't understand or i don't remember exactly um Yeah. It, it does surprise me. It's so simple, like writing things down and, you know, how many times have I had to ask them to write something down? Um, so Mm -hmm. it's, um, I don't know. I think everybody's in a hurry. There's the minutes, there's the billing issue, right. That we brought up. I think there, there's, there's so many other confounding factors that probably play into the quality of care, but, um, but yeah, hopefully, you know, those little things would, would make a big difference
1: yeah and i if you want to combine your two worlds i think that there is need for it also in the schools that i am seeing similar things in iep meetings with Mm -hmm. families that are um, english language learners that there's more of that acceptance and times when i you know looking at it if i was in an outside perspective thought that parent should have fought harder or if it Mm -hmm. was a different parent they would have gotten some of the services that they weren't getting and just that that same thing where we need to make sure that our families are understanding and that we're understanding our families. Yeah,
2: for sure. I think at the end of every remote meeting, at least, everybody should do like a a summary or a fact check or some kind of...
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, what I understood. This is, is what we correct? took away from yeah. this, right? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would definitely help alleviate a lot of miscommunication across mm-hmm. the board. So... Yeah, I, I'm super excited to, to be presenting at the California Speech Hearing Association um convention as well this spring. I think it's going to be in March uh, with one of my colleagues, and we're actually going to talk about difficult conversations and how to navigate through them through telepractice. So I think there's a definite need there. So we'll be probably bringing up some of these scenarios for school-based uh, um SLPs in particular. Yeah, but it, it can apply through any setting, honestly, but mm-hmm. mainly school-based, I think, because of all the IEPs and things that we have to sit through, it makes it right. really hard.
1: Right.
0: Well, Karine, how, how can people reach out to you uh, and get in touch if they want to check in with you or learn more about SIG18 or more about what you have planned in your new practice? Yeah,
2: definitely. So LinkedIn is the number one way to get a hold of me. Um, and then you can just look me up by my name. And then um I also have a, a new email address, uh now consulting at gmail.com. Um so for now, those are the main ways and uh hopefully there'll be more information and a website coming soon.
0: Awesome. Right? Please uh come back and give us an update when things are up and running and Let us know how things are going.
2: Oh, I I will be very excited to do that. Thank you.
0: And that wraps up another fantastic episode of Telepractice today. Huge thank you to Kareen for joining us and sharing her invaluable insights. Your experiences and knowledge are what make this podcast a must-listen for everyone in the telepractice community. So I really appreciate Corrine and all she does, both with SIG18 and just in her practice. And I'm really excited for what she has planned in terms of accent reduction and public speaking. And so continue to check out what she's doing. And to our listeners, we hope you found this episode enlightening and engaging. If you did please take a moment to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but also assists others in discovering our podcast, which is always what we're trying to do, is to grow the number of listeners and subscribers that are out there. Don't forget to recommend... This podcast, Telepractice Today, to all of your friends and colleagues or anyone, really, that's interested in telepractice. We know that word of mouth is very, very powerful. And, of course, your support always means the world to us. So stay tuned for next week. We'll be back with another exciting episode. We'll have some great Discussions and another very, very exciting guest. You don't want to miss next week's episode. So thank you for listening. Keep innovating. Keep inspiring. And keep connecting. Be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.